Welcome back. Richard, here we are recording on a very rainy and an uncharacteristically rainy, muggy um, Sunday morning in Florida. Okay, uh, this is not our rainy season. This is not our rainy season, is it? Not our rainy season, and it's not our muggy season, really. It's oh. um, I, I went out this morning, and it's like you could just feel the weight of the the humidity. <laughs> on it's your like a wet blanket just covering everything. Yeah, it was a shock because we've had so much cold weather, and you just expect to be a little bit chilly in the morning. And you walk out this morning, and it's hot and humid. It's yeah. like people describe when they fly into Florida in the summertime, and they get hit with that hot, humid air. That's what it felt like this morning. Yeah, and of, and of course, those of you who, who watch or listen to the show um, from our um, from a little bit farther north, uh, when we say colder weather, you know, we're talking about 60s. 60s, uh, maybe. It, the 50s. It, it did get down to the 50s um, a little bit. So right. that's we've cold. been fortunate so far. We've only had one really, I think we only had one night where it went into the 30s. Right, yeah. But, you know, by the time the sun comes out in the morning, it's way up into the yeah. 50s. Yeah. That's it, cold. It, it's 50s is cold. You get to, um, like, if I go for a jog when it's when it's cooler out like that, I'll, I'll try to go when the sun's, sun's out, not in, in the evening or anything like that. Um, and you can tell the temperature change when you're jogging in the sun, <laughs> and then you get into the shade, and it's like, oh, my gosh, it's cold. And then you right. get in the sun, and it's like, okay. It's like, yeah, as soon as the sun starts to go down, man, it gets cold. You know, yes. It's like a we we can't we can't handle that. Uh, no no anything below seventy it starts to get uncomfortably cool. Yeah, definitely. So, so you hear, um, as you're listening to the podcast, you may hear um, a bit of thunder in the background because it's been mm -hmm. rumbling most of the morning, uh, but it shouldn't be too bad. You hear that rumbling? It's not our gallbladders. It's right. Um, and there is a uh, there has been a tornado warning, so hopefully we won't lose power or anything. So we'll yeah, that was the other thing I was thinking about this morning. We were supposed to have bad weather, and so hopefully the power will cooperate. Yes, definitely. So, okay. uh, so with that being said, let's get get to it. Today we're going to talk about um, we're we're kind of branching away from um, uh, so much talk about COVID nineteen, and um, we, we've been talking about that a lot over the last uh, few months, mm -hmm. year. Or so okay. uh, on the podcast, but today it is twelve months now. This is you know, months. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's wild. Um, and we'll leap inside. Exactly. But today we're going to talk about um, a, a very interesting article that we found uh, as it relates re related to why we are so resistant to growth, um, and why that's why the, the title of this podcast is. Uh, why we self-sabotage. Um, we often find ourselves in situations where we know what we need to do. We know what is best for us. We know what would make us happy or what would make our lives better. But for some reason, we fail to take the steps or do the things that we need to do, at least on a consistent basis, to make those things happen. And today, we're going to talk about seven psychological reasons why we might do that. Right. Um, yeah, this is an interesting article because she she um, begins with it begins with the notion that as we pursue happiness, um, it's like she she likens it to to a very rich dessert mm -hmm. that the first few bites are pleasing, right, um, and they 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 you know start your brain chemistry going you know and all those right. chemicals are, but after you've eaten a little too much, 
you lose your taste for it. Um, right. and it. And it's no longer pleasing or satisfying. And she compares happiness to a rich dessert like that, that you can, you can get, you can overdo it. You can get filled up and then you do things to, um, to, to dial it back, to reduce it. Yeah, she, she makes the argument that, you know, we all say we want to be happy, but we don't really want to be too happy. Right. We don't want too much happiness. Right. Um, which is a really interesting perspective. Um, right. I had never, I have, I've never even seen anything like this before. That, right. um, and, and we're going to talk in more detail about it. But the, I, the notion that, um, that th there's these built-in mechanisms in us, in our brain and our body, that will only allow us to be so happy. Right. And we keep running into these, um, these uh, psychological biases, um, and they're sort of in our DNA somewhere that we, we um, recruit them mm -hmm. when, as we pursue happiness, you know, we, we um, well, let, we'll just talk about it. You'll, you'll get the idea as we go along. Yeah. yeah. Because the idea is you want, to, you want to grow and become more, but there are these internal biases, these psychological biases that impede that process. Right, and and I think that it, it's related to a um, you know one of the things I've talked to my patients about a lot is um, you know I'm, we're often asked why we remember negative experiences so strongly um, right. and yeah. why we tend to you know that that slant towards pessimism just a little bit and why why we have that and, and you know one of the ways that I explain it to patients is that it, it's a um, it's a built-in mechanism to keep us alive you know um you you eat a berry and it's good that's great um if you eat a berry and it makes you really sick you really want to remember that berry um and so you so you never eat it again um and and, and it's like that with a lot of things in our lives we remember those negative things and we're always looking for those negative things because those are the things that we see as dangerous those things that's right. that are going to harm us and so yes it's great to be happy but I think as we've talked about some of these, some of these things, we're going to talk about that when we try to be happy um, so much, we tend to lose sight of those things that can be more protective. And That's so right. we don't want to be too happy. That's right. That's right. Because you, you want to remember what's dangerous. You want to remember what's, what can hurt you. And, and so we have this internal bias. And she, and she said, that's what gets in the way of growth because growth means you're moving beyond where you are. And she said, that's very difficult mm -hmm. because you want to stay where it's comfortable, where it's familiar. Um, and so she makes two good points about, about growth. And we talk about growth. It's a good topic to talk about at the beginning of another year right. because we, we want to uh, use each year to become better or smarter or more productive. She said two things about growth. One, growth is hard. Mm -hmm. And the second, it's uncomfortable. Okay? Right. It's hard because it requires that you take a very serious look at yourself. If you, if you want to become more, you have to figure out where you are and what you want to change. But the biggest thing is you have to, uh, you have, it forces you to abandon what we know. Mm -hmm. And then there's this uncertainty about where we're going. Right. So it's a difficult process because we're asking you to let go of what, uh, to move out, to use common terms you're move, you're being asked to move out of your comfort zone which you know? which is something we've talked about many times on the podcast related to change you know right. you don't want to go from 
you know, point A to point B immediately, because that, that's really difficult. And, and it tends to be where you go from not exercising at all to saying, I'm going to exercise five days a week. That change isn't going to, to stick because that amount of change at one time is just way too much. And so you, 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 you venture a little bit outside your comfort zone a little bit every day or, or, or gradually, and then you can get to that point. Um, and, and I think that she's absolutely right with that, that growth is hard because we are stretching ourselves outside of where we typically reside. And the other thing that we've mentioned previously is that to begin something new requires that you have to give something up. Right. If you want to start exercising an hour a day, you have to give that, that hour has to come from someplace. We're doing so something for that hour. Right. So you're giving something up that you're familiar with to do something that you're unfamiliar with. So it is difficult. So yes, it is difficult. Second, it's uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, um, the, the we tend to change, we, we look for change when something is uncomfortable. And then when we begin to change, that change is uncomfortable. And so we have this battle of uncomfortable. So uh, for example, when, you know, when we are getting to getting overweight and we decide, okay, we really want to do something about our weight. Usually it's because we're uncomfortable with something. Our clothes aren't fitting right. Um, it's more difficult to do some of the things that we want to do or whatever. And, and so because there's something that's uncomfortable, we, we say we want to make this change. Right. Um, but making that change is going to be uncomfortable as well, which is why so many times we don't stick to it. That's right. You, you give up, you, you just, it's, the un, it's the unfamiliarity. Right. Um, you're leaving something comfortable and familiar and you're going to someplace something entirely new. I think of the, the early settlers, you know, who left England in these little boats and went across the Atlantic and came to this new place. What, a, what an astonishing feat that was uh, to go through that kind of change. And so, so to, if you want to change, it has to be a conscious effort right. because if you're not consciously choosing something, your body and brain are, are, are going to resort to staying in the comfort, the comfortable and the familiar. Right. And so it requires this conscious effort. Well, as soon as you apply this conscious effort, you're going to run into these seven obstacles. Right. Okay? The first one. And I, and I love them. I think that they're, they're fantastic. The first one is that you don't, related to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, you don't really want to feel too much happiness. Right. And um, this is so bizarre. When I, I had to read it twice because there seems to be a word missing in this episode. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So she says you, you don't really want to feel too much happiness that we, we sort of have this, um, this assessment, self-assessment that we do that's sort of built into our, our biological systems, I suppose, that, that tells us that once we reach too much happiness, um, we, we start looking for we start finding ways to be unhappy. Um, and, and, you know, it reminds me of something we talked about a few weeks ago that, um, you know, when we, um, we, we want to do well, we want to, um, you know, again, be happy and, and all of that, but we're looking for reasons that we wouldn't be happy. Um, we, we're looking for um, confirmation that the world isn't this utopia that, we're, that we think it, that it is. And so we start looking for negative. As soon as we start looking for negative, of course, we're going to find negative. Yeah. Yeah. The, it, we, we all have sort of a happiness meter, you know, in us. And what the point she makes is that as you 
begin to grow, as you begin to pursue this new place that you want to, um, you want to acquire, this new thing you want to acquire, a place you want to get to, it requires a shift in your belief system because if you believe that I'm, I can only be, I can only be 50% happy, right? You know, I, if, if I start to exceed something, right. then I'll begin to self-sabotage. Right. So growth requires that you also change your belief system right. because if <laughs> I'm going to use myself as an example, and I apologize for this, but you and I work long hours mm -hmm. and people say, well, you should be doing more for yourself. If I don't believe that I'm entitled to free time, if That's I don't believe that I'm entitled to take a day off, I'm never going to do the change, make the changes that I need to make because, because I'm saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm not allowed to be that happy. I'm supposed to be working. Okay. That's going to impede. So I will self-sabotage. I'll take on another project and say, well, I'd really like to have some time off, but I had to take on this new project. Right. I had to do this other task. Right. And so you self-sabotage your growth. Right. Absolutely. We, we, we tend to make time for the things that we find most important. And right. if we don't find our happiness as being very important, mm -hmm. then we find times for other things that maybe don't, don't make us as happy. Right. And I think of people in relationships, you know, where, you know, you're dating somebody and you really aren't happy in it, but this, but you're saying, well, this is, this is all the happiness that I really deserve for, for whatever reason. I'm not saying there's something wrong. I'm saying, this, this is all the happiness that I deserve. I don't deserve to be any happier than this. Yeah. And so you stay in a dysfunctional relationship. Yeah, there's a wonderful line in a movie called uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, oh, yeah. uh, where uh, the, the, the lead actor um, asks an English, English, English teacher, um, mm -hmm. why, I'm paraphrasing, but why do we, um, why do we have, didn't love people that, um, that aren't good for us? And right. the English says, we, we tend to accept the love we think we deserve. Right. And it's the same thing. Right. Um, you know, you, you are as happy as you think you deserve to be happy. That's right. And I think, I think she's absolutely right about that. So that, so that if you don't change your beliefs, if you, if you don't change your belief system, um, uh, you're, you're never going to take those steps to change. And we're going to have to do a podcast on how to change that belief system. Oh, yeah. Because we, we, we got to figure that part out. That part. Yeah, how do you? How do you? How do you? How do you make that change? That's a that's a year's worth of therapy. <laughs> that's right. That's a lot of work. Right. Of now, remember this second one that confused me a little bit. Um, you can't really predict what's going to make you happy. Right. We think we know. <laughs> right. You know, how many times do we say, "Well, as soon as this happens, then everything will be great," or "As soon as that happens, everything will be great," and and we get to that point, and then it's like ah, the next line, there, there it is, the next one, that's the one that's going to make us happy. And yeah, we do that all the time. Right. And Americans are, you know, anybody who's acquisitive, not inquisitive, but acquisitive, you always want the latest thing, you know, uh, the latest iPhone. And we talked about this a few weeks ago that when you achieve that thing. Um, then you want the next thing and the next thing and the next thing because you think that's what's going to make you happy. It doesn't because you're never happy with what you have. You're always on this quest to have the next or the best or the latest. And what she, the point she makes here is that we don't always know what it's going to take. We have to 
again, move outside ourselves and explore certain things. I mean, maybe, you know, I'm thinking, you know, people say, well, I don't like to run or I don't like to do this or I don't like to do that. If you've never done it, don't say eating a new food. No, you say, well, I don't like X. You have to try X, okay? Right. If you've never tried it, and or people, they smell their food and say, oh, I don't want to eat that. Or if you've ever eaten Limburger cheese, Limburger cheese tastes better than it smells, okay? So don't rely on your sense of smell to determine whether or not something is, is pleasant to eat because right. those two things don't always correlate. So, but, but again, the issue is you have to explore those new things. And once again, you're going to take yourself out of your comfort zone. Right, because that, explore, that exploration is difficult. It's right, right. It's yeah, because it's, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Now, number three, uh, <laughs> he writes, you believe that negative potential outcomes, that, that, that um, negative potential outcomes are more likely than positive outcomes. Mm -hmm. And this is absolutely right. And it goes along with you know, what we were talking about a few minutes ago. That's part of survival. That's that's mm -hmm. evolutionary. We we right. we tend to anticipate negative outcomes mm -hmm. because if we anticipate negative outcomes, we're more likely to stay alive than if we only expect positive ones and then something bad happens. That's right. It's safer. It's right. safer to. I mean, and you know, people. I'm related to some people who uh, my father was a little bit like that. He always saw the dangerous when we were growing up as children. He always saw the dangerous side of everything. Right. And it sort of limited what, what he wanted us to do or what he allowed us to do. Right. Um, and he would always say, well, you know, you could get it. And I said, yeah, but, but if we don't get killed, this would be a great experience. You right. Know, there, there's another side to this. And he tended to see the negative side. And it, and it even has a name. It's called negativity bias. Right. And I confess, I had not, I don't think I had seen that term before. I, I'm sure I may have, but I don't remember it as clearly as when I read it here. Well, and I think that the, that there the extreme versions of this is characteristic of certain pathologies, like um, agoraphobia. True. Yeah. When, when, when the expectation is anytime I go outside of my house or anytime mm -hmm. I'm out in the open, something bad could happen and I couldn't get to safety, you tend to stay in, indoors in your, in your home and, right. and that's, you know, agoraphobia. Mm -hmm. And the, um, you know, so that's sort of the, the pathological extreme uh, of negativity bias. But we all tend to have it to some extent, um, right. or we should have it to some extent, because That's right. if we don't anticipate something negative happening, then we get into really bad situations. Right. And yeah. And you better before crossing the street, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You better, uh, we tell people, you know, think about the negative consequences of what you're about to do, the, the possibility that this may happen. And so it's something that's built into us, you know, be, be careful because bad things could happen. So, but, but being alert to bad things is also what keeps us alive. Right. So, so again, it's this built-in bias that we need to be aware of. We, we tend to have this bias, but you need to overcome it. Absolutely. Now, now number four is one that I really got. <laughs> we all, yeah, I did too. I, I, I'm embarrassed to say, yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Number four is that you're staying loyal to what you put a lot of time into, even if it's not what's really right for you in the long term. Um, my goodness, there there are so many things. Um, whether it's your job that you're st staying in, even though you're, it makes you miserable. Um, the relationship that you're 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 maintaining, even though um, it's not healthy for you. Um, you know, there are lots of things in lots of ways that we 
maintain things because you used the word earlier, comfortable. Um, we're content, you know, we, we are settled in this displeasure, mm -hmm. um, but it's familiar, it's predictable, it, we know what it feels like, right. and, you know, to, to step outside, or we put a lot of time into it, you know, we've been working at this for, you know, um, you know, how many times do you hear a person say, well, I only have nine more years, and I can retire with benefits, um, but it, I hate my job, and I'm miserable, I hate my life. Up and, and, you know, but, but we stick with it because of how much time we put into it, and um, even though it makes us miserable. Right. I, um, we see this with couples all the time, couples looking at taking a serious look at divorce for the first time, and they will say to you, they will say to us, well, I've invested eight years of my life in this relationship. I've invested 25 years of my life in this relationship. As you say, I'm miserable, I'm unhappy, but I've invested so much time in this that I hate to give it up. You know, I'm, I'm reluctant to give it up. Right. And, and again, there's a word for this, it's called the sinking cost fallacy. The ship is going to sink anyway. Right. And, and so, you know, think about it. It's going down anyway. Get off. Get off this relationship or job or whatever it is. You know, if it's short term, if you're in college and you say, well, I only have two more years to finish my degree, you can probably stick it out. We're going to talk about that with number seven. But um, but for long term, when you're talking about the rest of your life or right. 20 years, um, you know, think think long and hard about that. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and again, it comes back to that. To me, it comes back to the familiarity. Um, exactly. it, it's like, well, kind of tying that tying number four back with, um, you know, earlier conversations that we've had about the um you know the, that change um in growth how difficult it is if you know what to anticipate you know if you're unhappy in your relationship but you know what to anticipate when you get home from work mm -hmm. um that there's cues that you know that okay she's not in a good mood or he's he's cranky today um mm -hmm. then you can anticipate it that's far easier to stay in than it is to consider what will my life be like with, you know, if I make changes, even if, even though the potential is to be happy, we're resistant to that because um, that's right. Predictable. And, and we're battling we're battling two biases. Number one, we stay with what is familiar, mm -hmm. and we fear the unknown because right. we're thinking, well, if I leave this fifteen year relationship, you know, I've invested so much of myself and. I'm going to be going places that I have no idea. The future, I, I can't, I can't know what's out there. You know, right. it could be worse. So you have two biases in that case. Absolutely. Leaving yeah. a job would be the same thing. I would really like to quit, but what if my next job is worse? Right. 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 Yeah. So you have these built-in uh, biases that you have to manage and overcome. Right. Number five. Yeah. It's another one that. Um, sort of tickled me when I read it. I said, dang, she's right. Right. The, this is the idea of um, uh, primary, right? That you yeah. give precedence to whatever you believe first. Right. Um, and so if you, you know, if you believe that this is what you should do um, from the time that you were, you were a kid and, and you said, no, you know, I, everybody in my family is an engineer. I should be an engineer. And you believe right. it from the time you were, you know, in middle school. Well, by the time you get in college, 
you may completely hate the field of engineering. You're going to, you're going to give that precedence because that's what you've always wanted or what you've always believed. Right. You know, when you get these messages as a young child, for example, the parent who says, you have to get all A's, period. Right. It has to be perfect. You need to have a 4.0 and you need, you just B's are not tolerable. Right. You're probably going to carry that with you the rest of your life. There's some part of you that's always going to be saying, I have to get it right. I have to be the best. I have to be, I have to be perfect. Right. And you're going to carry that around for, that's your first belief. Right. And you may, you may know that it's not healthy, but you have a very difficult time getting rid of it. Right. Absolutely. So you have to be able to open your mind a little bit and, and anticipate or, or see at least um, when you have new options, you have to see them for what they really are. That, That's right. um, mm -hmm. you know, not as it compares to what you have always believed in, but for what it is and what it could offer you and the potential that you have with that. Yeah, I think the good advice here is um, think long and hard about this because it may be that you have this belief simply because it was the first belief you had. Right. It has no other value than that. I mean, it really isn't important. It's just, it's just that this was the first one you had. So it's okay to let go of it. Right. Um, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, that, that's a simple thing to overcome. It just, no, you had that early on, you know, that, that was your first belief. It's not the most important necessarily. It just happened to be the first belief you had. So go ahead and overcome that. Right, absolutely. Now, number six is um, something that we deal with with patients all the time, and that is making a long-term assessment based upon a short-term experience. Right. Um, so, you know, something happens and, you know, it, it's, it goes really well. Well, that may have been a one-time experience, and everything that you've done with that afterwards has been miserable, has been terrible. Um, but we, we hold on to that one positive piece of it, and from there we kind of hold on to this idea that, well, I can't do anything different than this because remember how happy I was that one time. Right, right. Or if you, if you take the negative side, say, I'm, I'm not very happy right now. Um, but Ryan Holiday, he's a, a writer, says this moment is not your life. This is a moment in your life. Right. And so don't, don't make a long-term assessment based on how you're feeling at any moment. Now, if you're feeling that way day after day after day after day, for, I use the example of the college student. If you've completed two years of college and you ab you're absolutely miserable and it just doesn't feel right, no. um, it may be time for a change. Yeah. But um, the first time you run into an obstacle, that's just a moment. Don't make a long-term decision. Don't drop out of school yet because this is just how you're feeling at this moment or during this semester. Don't make, don't make this long-term decision based on a, on a single experience or even a short-term experience. Absolutely. And something else that, you know, we talk with patients about a lot is um, <clears throat> sometimes bad things happen to us. Right. Um, it doesn't mean that we're bad. You know, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person because these things happen to me. It means that bad things happen to me. And, and the difference is, again, taking that isolated those those individual circumstances where something bad happened mm -hmm. and then you know you don't want to project it onto yourself as as part of who you are for the rest of your life um it's just that some that was a moment those were, mm -hmm. were maybe it could have even been several moments many moments um mm -hmm. but they were still isolated moments within a lifetime 
uh, of who you are. And, um, you know, we have to be cautious not to um, hold on to those negative experiences and then begin to define ourselves. What, what Aaron Beck referred to that as uh, globalizing, right? Um, was it yes. mm-hmm. where we take little thing, one thing, and we apply it to everything in our life? Sure. Um, and, and she refers to it as extrapolating. Right. You, know, you extrapolate from a single thing to a global, making a global decision. Right. You know? But Aaron Beck had the, it was the same concept. You know, or you overgeneralize. You know, in behaviorism, you overgeneralize. You say this is a single episode. Does it apply to everything? Probably not. Absolutely. Number seven was a little bit confusing to me. All right. Number seven. Um, She said, in number seven, it's you're using self-reflection as an escape mechanism rather than a way to actually change your life. Right. And the point she makes is, no matter what you do, Mm -hmm. eventually it's going to become boring or monotonous or... um, uh, it's going to lose its appeal. Right. Okay. You, you thought you were okay. So she said, "When I think what she's saying with this one, and it's not clear. At least it wasn't clear when I read it. <clears throat> I think what she's saying is that as you as you begin this process of change, you're going to discover that no matter how exciting something is, it is going to become monotonous, or there will be days when it doesn't feel so good. Okay." That's not the time to uproot yourself and go on to something new. It may be better in that case to stay where you are, um, but it is a moment to confront yourself. Right. You use it as a moment. And because the decision you need to make is, do I want to push through this temporary monotony, this, this bad day that I'm having? I mean, I love the work that I do, mm-hmm. but there are times when, you don't love it, or you say, oh man, I have to go to work again today. When I'm working, I'm fine. So what I'm confronted with, therefore, is do I just want to push through these days when it's not so exciting, or do I want to uproot and begin all over again? Right, yeah, that's that's the way that I took it, that when when we're making these changes, and again, as you said, there's, there's going to be times when the change that we're making, even if it makes us happy, that there are going to be those days where it's boring or monotonous or just repetitive. And um, we tend to take those times to self-reflect and think back to, well, you know, it wasn't so bad back then. It wasn't, you know, I, I, you know, I put, I put up with it for 20 years. I might, I can put it, put right. it with it, you know, for however many more years or whatever. It wasn't that bad. And, and then we use that as an excuse to allow ourselves to fall back into the, that rut or those, those old routines instead of actually letting it, actually changing our life and, and working through that. Um, um, absolutely, you, ha- you have to take those times and really work to push through um, or decide you know, about pushing through um, or, or falling back. And, um, but you have to be careful with that. Sometimes you need help with that because it's, it's really difficult to do on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, we have all of those, those biases that we've talked about throughout these, you know, right. the previous six. And, and we tend to draw from those biases to find a reason or an excuse to fall back into that 
um, that comfort zone, even though that comfort zone may not be very healthy for us. Right, and, and, and you're right, you need to confront yourself. And, and for most of us, it's very difficult to be truly honest. We have these defense mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, Freud talked about them you know, years, over 100 years ago. Uh, we, we don't like to think about certain parts of ourselves. We're, right. we're not really good at being complete, accurately self-critical. It's not, it's not, it's hard to be accurate. It's hard to look at your weak parts. Because we, find some, we use so many things for confirmation bias, right? So we right. say, well, you know what? Um, it's not, it's not so bad because, you know, if I didn't do this, then that wouldn't have happened. And, you know, it, it was probably my fault to begin with. And so right. I shouldn't have made that decision or I shouldn't have done that. And when, when it's, when it's not critical enough, mm -hmm. and sometimes again, we, we need to have somebody else to help us with it. Um, right. because we, we go through those, um, those cycles within ourselves that lead us back to the same thing. I mean, but there's a reason why you stayed in that unhealthy situation right. for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There were points all along the way where you convinced yourself that that's where you needed to be. And right. so you're going to keep falling back to that every time you try to make a change. Right. And sometimes you need help to break that cycle. Right. And one of the values of therapy is to get this different perspective or, or to challenge your belief system. Um, I'm not a big fan of confrontational therapy. I think it's overused and used in, in, in the wrong way and maybe with the wrong uh, clients. But, um, but it is a therapist's job to um, have the person really take a close look at things that they're normally not doing on their own. I mean, I think that's one of the values of therapy. It's, uh, you know, you can go to your friends and they don't wanna give you the bad news, but there are friends who can give you the bad news and say, hey man, you know, you're really stuck right now and you need to do X or you need to think about this or what you're doing is stupid. And sometimes you need that, uh, that other perspective, either from somebody you can trust or from a therapist who can, who can um, start to move you in a different direction or help you look at those things that are difficult to look at. That's the discovery. That's the self-discovery that you need. Or, and, and challenge that negative bias. And challenge your biases. That's right. Challenge these, these six things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. It's, it's not easy. Um, huh. it, it's a challenge. It's a challenge for everyone. And, yeah. um, and so that's why, you know, help is sometimes needed. And, um, and, well, and it's why we fall back into those routines and patterns over mm -hmm. and over again anyway. So, right. um, yeah. but, but there's a link in the show notes for this article, if you want to read a little bit more about what she has to say, um, it's, it's a really good article, really good for some self-reflection and looking at yourself. Yeah, what I like about this article, it's very readable, first of all, mm -hmm. but um, it, it makes you think about your own experiences in a new way. And, and you look at these and you say, wow, yeah, I'm, I really, I, that's, I do that, that's what I do. And so now you see that it's not that you have a shortcoming or a flaw, it's just, it's just part of our DNA. It's part of the way we function as human beings. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, that's it then for today, right? It is indeed. Well, we, we kept our power on throughout. <laughs> I think it may have stopped raining. I think we made it. Right. So, all right. Well, that's it for today. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.